on this week's episode of Living Free with RP, we got James Laird. You aren't going to want to miss this one. At 25 years old, this kid has seen the world. So, and he had some amazing stories along the way. He's seen the bottom and risen all the way back to the top. So, without further ado, I give you James Leard's journey. Welcome. Thank you for taking the time out to be on my podcast. Absolutely. I mean, I've, I've actually seen a couple of your things floating around as well as um, a couple of things on Anchor by various other people. So I figured this would be a good way to, to spread the word and keep things current. That's, a, that's why I wanted to start it. Is that for that reason? I figure, you know, the Facebook pages are great, but putting a voice to uh, everyone's story is a little more, you know, a little more exciting. I don't know. A bit more personal, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. So, introduce yourself. Uh, you know, do you have family, and you know, where you, you know, where you're from? We just, you know, said that, but for everybody right now, uh, mm. tell everybody where you're from and everything, and who you are. So, the grandiose title of myself is a uh, James Crawford Laird the Second, IMBA. Um, I currently live in Manchester. Uh, my family consists of a grandfather on my mum's side. Um. My mum, my dad, and my dad's sister. Uh, my mum's sister is, um, shall we say, a little bit estranged to the family. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then we've got myself, my brother, and my two stepsisters, um, and my stepfather and his family. Okay, nice. When did you get diagnosed? Um, let me think. I think I got diagnosed at aged eight. It was a. Uh, it was part of. We call, we have something here. You've got like Boy Scouts of America, correct? Uh, yes. Yeah, we have something somewhat similar in Cubs and the Boys Brigade. Um, I was part of the Boys Brigade and uh, was doing the hundred meters, hundred meter dash, and promptly tripped and bumped my full head quite hard on the ground. And then, well, uh, they kind of got the diagnosis after that when they realised I wasn't following the finger properly. <laughs> oh wow, that's uh, pretty young. That's a. Uh, uh... We had, I had another someone else on the show, uh, the episode that's coming out this Monday. Uh, he got diagnosed at the age of three. So, oh, wow. So. My mom always kind of knew there was something not quite right, but I masked it very well. Um, you know, not being able to see it in the dark, what I do is whenever it came to that sort of thing, I would follow people and follow their sound. Or like, you know, when I, when I was playing, because our condition is reductive um you know I'd, I'd drop something on the floor and not realize it but i'd be able to like scan around quickly and be able to, to to catch it but my mom could tell from a really early age never didn't get the diagnosis though until i was eight. Oh wow how'd you react to getting diagnosed do you remember um i kind of didn't really 
comprehend the full impact of what it meant because I had aspirations to become a racing driver. Um, oh, wow. and my cool. mom can tell, can tell you the story of when um, coming home from it, she was, okay, what does this mean? What can this all come from? And she said, I don't really remember it, but she told me the story not so long ago of when I turned around to her kind of silent, taking it all in. I just turned around to her and said, does that mean I can't be a racing driver? And that that broke her apparently, um, mm. you know, the, the, the full tears at that, that point. Um, it wasn't until I was kind of going on, because I, I never really realised my eyesight didn't work as such. Um, I just, it's how I'd always been. I hadn't really noticed it because it was such a slow, gradual progression for me. Mm. Um, I just didn't really realise what that meant. It wasn't until I started getting into my later teens that I realized just how bad my eyesight was as the the level, the gap between uh, normalcy in air quotes and myself was <laughs> becoming. Well, how old are you now? Oh, I'm 25. Oh, okay. What and about where, yourself? Oh, I am 38. Oh, Jesus. Oh, sorry, sorry, 39, 39. I just had a birthday. I keep forgetting <laughs> stuff. Oh, well, happy birthday <laughs> and happy new year. Oh, thank you. Same to you. But uh, so where, like, like, well, one, how do you feel now versus how back then? Like, how do you feel about RP now? Um, that's kind of a big question. Can you, can you narrow that down slightly for me? Uh, um, like, um, I'm trying to think, because like, cause I'm just trying to compare how, you know, but when you're young, I mean, obviously eight years old, it was probably, it's, it's tough to, like, really grasp, <laughs> you know, what, you know, what's going on. You're just... Hey, I can't, you know, what, I can't race cars? Like, yeah. But, you know, now you're 25. Um, how does how do, how do I look at the condition? Yeah. Uh, how, are, how are you? Yeah. How is that? How are you feeling about it now? Are you more, are you positive about it? Are you, do you I mean, we all have down days, of course, but I mean. Well, the biggest thing for me that's changed as of last year, beginning of last year, I got um, a set of uh, advanced um, computer aided glasses that really enhanced my vision. And kind of opened me up to the world. Um, I'd always been, wouldn't say bitter, but as always, that had that acceptance to it that there were things I could do and couldn't do, and being able to accept them as new barriers came up and as things I had been able to do suddenly became harder and harder, and, and accepting that okay, this is when it's probably a good idea to stop. Like cycling, for example, I used to cycle to school, and um, I was starting to think maybe I should stop doing it and by luck, but good and bad, um, my bike got stolen. So it was that way of, it kind of forced the hand and it wasn't, it, I could accept that change. Um, how I feel on the condition now is I still think it's a pretty hard condition to to give to somebody. Like, mm. it's still, especially in a very computer-dominated, eyesight-dominated world that we have nowadays where personalised, especially in America, where personalised independence transport is is the key to living a living a mass living a, a a fulfilling life in many respects um it's still quite a hard thing to to come to terms with for me though i've 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 been very fortunate my my parents have always been very encouraging um um with my mum having um psychology background and myself going into a psychology um understanding of things and i was being somewhat philosophically minded i've kind of found the benefits of having rp um, I think one of my biggest things that have ever kind of come out of it and one of the things I ever 
pointed out in a job interview was I went to I went for an interview to be a logistics manager, which for those who may not know while listening is for someone who arranges how to organize things getting from A to B and what order things need to be done in. And I went for the job and there I am with my my stick and everyone else was talking about how they drive this and they, they manage that and mm-hmm. kind of give me the you you're you're obviously just coming here to get your heart broken kid and I've gone into the room and they've kind of you could just tell they were that yes we're asking you the question but we've already made our decision about you sort of way and then yeah. I pointed out that my eyesight actually gave me a benefit in that regard and I caught their attention at that point they go, well how do you mean as well it's very easy for someone to get up in the morning grab whatever see whatever they need grab whatever they need and off they go whereas I can't do that I need to plan every single part of my day in advance I need to figure out okay that's where that clothes are going to be so I can get that in the morning then I need to know what's the latest bus I can get to so I can get that connection and then if it's going to be this day if it's going to be that day if it's raining does that mean the bus is going to be delayed and suddenly I have to take in all these extra contingencies because if I want to live my life because of my restrictive vision then I have to take that into account and suddenly there was Oh, you know what you're talking about, <laughs> right? That 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 awakening moment of yeah, we um, we we might actually need you. <laughs> we could use a guy like you, actually. Well, yeah, I used, precisely. That's why I used to tell people uh, when I was still driving. When you know, I mean, of course, I had night blindness, but I was still driving at night before yeah. it got worse. And people was respond, you know. Of course, I always ask, well, how you know, you know. Like, how can you drive at night? I'm like, well, I have, you know, there's street lights, there's headlights. And if anything, because, you know, I have to pay more attention at night, I'm probably a better driver than most of you who are normal. Oh, absolutely. Like, you know, we're we're far more, if if we suddenly, you know, overnight we got the snap and suddenly our eyes were back to normal, our heightened perceptiveness you know, if if you if you put us into like a role playing game or something like that, our perception scores are through the roof because we're we're hyper aware of everything. We're aware of what sounds are. We listen out for things. Whereas, oh, we didn't see that coming. How? Right. Wait, what do you mean you didn't? See? Yes, but <laughs> there, was, there was there was the noise that you could hear the tires down the street. You could you could tell there was a car coming quickly. No, oh, no, no, I just didn't see it. <laughs> yep. Sometimes I mean, like yeah. Sometimes I won't cross the street. I can cross the street really not even looking because I could just know. I don't hear anything, and I'm good. Yeah. But if I, I can hear a car, I know. Okay, nope. Except the gosh darn Prius. Damn it. Yeah, what happened? I don't know. Happen. <laughs> and that was it. The um, any uh, was it the um, what's the other car? The electric Tesla. car. Yeah, thank you. The Tesla. Yeah, they're uh, sneaky ninja cars. <laughs> yeah, you know. Almost as bad as lampposts. I swear, one of them jumped out and bit me <laughs> the other day. That happens. That and like I said, the wet floor signs and and cones. Oh, don't get me cone. started on wet floor signs. Yeah, they're, they're all our enemies, apparently. <laughs> well, the thing was, I remember in, in high school, I, you know, I I, I, I was going to go and, and talk to a, a pretty lady and thought, right, okay, I'm going, to, I'm going to pull up my courage. And I saw my moment, I went over to achieve it. And then I tripped, I did that hop, hop skip and I tripped the hell over a wet floor sign, put my foot into the bucket that it was warning everyone about because there was a leak in the roof, got my foot absolutely soaking and stumbled into her. Uh, and she looks at me and goes, so is that your chat-up line? Because I'll give you points for originality. I'm like, help, <laughs> roll with it. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> it, might, it might have not felt awesome at the time, but it's pretty, it's pretty cool. I mean, I've always been somewhat confident in myself. Uh, so I, I, can, I like it that way of um, there's a there's an advert here in the UK by a, a drinks company 
and they're notorious for having very good adverts. And it's when things go wrong, take a drink of this, and you can you can see the brighter side of that. So um, I'd kind of taken inspiration from that. It goes well, you know, if if it works for the Iron Brew advert, it works for me. Yeah, I like it. Or, uh, it works for the drinks advert. It works for me. Yeah, Don't definitely. <laughs> so, um, without your aided technology, where is your vision currently? I say somewhere around three percent range, three to five percent. Um, I have a light sensitivity, dark blindness, and um, I have some limited issues with various color spectrums, especially on the green. Um, green just comes up as as gray to myself, so uh, autumn yeah. is my favorite because I'm the first one that notices there's a brown leaf in that tree. How can you tell? Because it's the <laughs> color is <laughs> showing. <laughs> um, as for like distance vision, um, I have glasses to read, but um, you know I read on a laptop daily as as my job. I I'm a writer, so I I look at screens daily. I use my phone with with very limited issue. Um, so distance vision, I'm you know three quarters of the three quarters, two thirds of the way down the chart. Okay, all right. So you mentioned earlier about you know stopping you know riding your bike and and other things as your vision progressed. Mm-hmm. Um, what other things would you say that you've had to kind of say I I can't do I can't give I can't do this anymore, or maybe you have to do differently. Um. There's very few out and out things I've had to give up, and especially with these new glasses, a lot of those things that I gave up have come back. So if you'd asked me this last year at this time, I'd have said that probably my global traveling days had come to an end, at least independently. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd been all over the world and set myself kind of the unofficial target of becoming a world traveler by seeing the sunset and sunrise on the major oceans of the world, awesome. and. I'd done three of them, but I'd never been to the far coast of the United States or South America to see the sunset on the Pacific. And I kind of felt that that wasn't going to happen anymore because I just, it was becoming so difficult to navigate new new airports, new streets, finding new places, that sort of thing. I just kind of felt that was coming to an end. Got the glasses and with the massive vision boost they give me, I've reopened that chapter. That's cool. Um, other things, I suppose, like I never really was much for one for nightclubbing and pubbing because I don't really drink alcohol. I have a metabolism um, disorder, which means I don't get drunk, which is fantastic. Until <laughs> you know, it, it just, it, you can drink, you can drink as much as you want to drink, but you still never really get the the buzz out of it. And believe me, when you don't get the buzz out of having alcohol, alcohol tastes really bad. <laughs> yeah, I never thought about it that way. I mean, like, you know, people don't really drink. I mean, some people do, but the, the vast majority of people don't drink pints because they really, really love the taste of it. They like it because it gets them a bit, woohoo, get the, <laughs> take the edge off. When you, when you never get the edge off and that taste is as sharp as ever. Other things I'd say, like, doing differently. Um, I suppose because it was such a slow progression over my life, there was very few things I learned to do differently. Um, starting to use the cane when I was 18, 19 or such, like carrying that around and using that, something that slowly come more and more into effect. Um, I suppose uh, the company that I keep has changed slightly because I used to be quite a sporty individual and that's over the years has changed to become somewhat more geeky of the or the 
um, the, the the nerdy, whichever, whichever term. I mean, I, I ascribe myself as a geek more than a nerd. I'm more into <laughs> that sort of thing. Um, so go, going into that, that area of company that I'm in, uh, saying that, I have started getting back into um, visually impaired tennis. I'm actually the treasurer of the, Grand, of the Greater Manchester Tennis Club. So, you know, I've really gotten involved in that again because I like to stay healthy. But yeah, yeah, I think I think that's probably the biggest thing that's changed is, is where and how I socialize. Oh, OK. So besides traveling the world and um, and not getting drunk, <laughs> what other interests do you have? Well, I'm a huge writer. I love reading and I love writing. I've got uh, I've got a book published um, and a, a deal to do a couple more with my publishing house, but I'm actually looking to find a new house to represent me because the one I've got really isn't doing all that much. Um, outside of that, um, I'm interested in history, uh, especially military history. I love that sort of thing. Um, Greco-Roman um, was sort of things that I've delved into, mythology I really enjoy. Um, what else would there be? Um, I'm a bit of a dancer. I do a couple forms of acrobatic break dancing. Um, I did know how to ballroom dance once upon a time. I would love to do that again, but uh, yeah. finding an avenue and finding time to do that was quite difficult. And I suppose the final thing was I was at one point very renowned and very good at poker, but... Um, with years of travel and, and doing other things, that that has also slid. Um, I'm nowhere near as good as I once was. Nice. I love the breakdancing. That sounds pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thing was, we just had a New Year's party here. My my, my <laughs> house is always the host place, and um, we were doing it in the kitchen dining room, and you know, everything was cleared out of the way. I don't know who it was, but someone found out that I did breakdancing. So everyone's like, come on, come on, come on, come on. You need to do it. You need to do it. But they didn't really clear enough of a space to do it, so it was, oh. like, it was kind of a bit, bit clunky as I try to figure out. Okay, I can do enough. I've got enough room to move this and check around. Okay, I still got enough room. Do another spin. Okay, I've got enough room. Do a kick. Uh, whatever. It just wasn't quite as smooth as I wanted it to be. <laughs> oh my god! That yeah. Never tell your friends that you know how to do something because <laughs> they'll normally put you in that spot. My friend told me he was going to do the worm at my uh, wedding, mm-hmm. and I made sure he did. He did, <laughs> he did like three. <laughs> oh, fair enough. Fair enough. Oh, oh, well, no, to be fair, it was actually like the first one was really good, and then like the second one was like, all right, and then the third one was like a like a fish out of water, kind of <laughs> just kind of flopping around. It wasn't like so much a worm, really. <laughs> Everyone thought he was drunk, but actually at the time, he didn't, he wasn't drinking alcohol. Mm. So mm. Uh, everyone was really surprised. I'm like, yep, there's there. That's I'm like, that's my friend. But he he told me he would do the worm. I'm gonna make sure he yeah. does it. <laughs> I was damn sure this fool was this going is, to do this for me. Yeah, this is gonna happen. <laughs> so someone hold my drink. He is going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we talked earlier about our interactions with the wet floor sign, but mm. this is the question I always like to ask on my podcast: Who wins in a fight? You are the wet floor sign. I say we're about equal because um, the, the the first one I mentioned about the, the tripping me up on the way to ask a girl out um, yeah. is definitely uh, definitely a win for it. But um, <laughs> <laughs> one of the best revenge stories I've ever had on it was it was a revolving door was my ally 
in the in the fight. Okay. And um, I kind of I, I hooked the I, I managed to avoid it, kind of. I, I saw it, went to go step around it, but got nudged by someone, so I ended up kicking it. It shot forward, and then you know how obviously it's got the the, the two halves of it. Yeah. Well, it it on the revolving door managed to catch between the two halves. Okay. As the door spun round, it snapped it in half. I was like, "That's yeah. for your sister." <laughs> <laughs> you go tell um, your friends. Be <laughs> <laughs> warned. Be careful. Um, the the other time that it was a bit of a draw was um, <laughs> I did try. I, I think I managed to hit one escape once. Um, I went into a into the uh, bathrooms of a can't you remember an airport or some lot some large establishment where there was a lot of foot traffic and went in and there was two doors next to one another couldn't remember which one was the exit so mm. i opened the wrong door and all the cleaning supplies fell out so the, oh, the, the floor side made a break for it i was like i can do it <laughs> i'm out of here <laughs> not today <laughs> precisely precisely uh, so you you also said you 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 started using a cane, you said, in your teens? Late teens. Like, I got the cane training when I was about 16, 17, because they were, at that point, you know, you're out, for the UK, we have various different forms of schooling. So in Scotland, it works out that you have, um, we have primary school, which is from ages 4, oblique 5, through to 11, oblique 12. And then the final years of high school go from there until you're about 18. Um, in England, they split it into three. So you've got primary school, which is the same, but it ends a year early. You then have high school, which is uh, also ends a year early. And then you have two years of what we call sixth form college. So at that point, when you're not getting school buses, when you're not going to be going into you know a, mu- a much more um, cautious and more uh, guardian-focused style of schooling, um, because sixth form college becomes much more adult education style, mm-hmm. um, you're responsible for learning, getting there, being on time to classes, you'll have study periods and such. Um, we, it, it was recommended that I get the cane training for doing that in case coming home at night one time it was too dark or whatever. So I got the cane training at that point. Never really used it. It was only when I started going to university fully um, at age 18 I had it because by that point I was completely living independently and it, it, it was more of the fact of I could still get around. I didn't really rely on it. It was just useful to get crowds out of the way. Like when some, when people see the stick, they give you an, an extra, an extra inch or two in a crowd or, yes, you know, it's yes. fantastic when you're going through a busy, a busy shopping center, you know, you start sweeping it and it's like Moses and the Red Sea, out the way, present time coming through. Move out of my way. <laughs> so, anyway, so, do, so did you, uh, at what point has it become like you leave, like you use it every day? Like what, at what, I mean, are you still kind of like able to kind of? Okay. At that point, I started carrying it around at, at age eighteen. It just it just became so much more helpful. Like I could get around without it. I didn't need it unless it was dark. But it was even during the day. It was just so much easier to have it out because then, as I said, people would be more courteous. Like, <laughs> um, I did though. Uh, still guiltily proud of this story. Um, I did use <laughs> to um cause quite a ruckus in a Dubai airport. Um. Dubai, the, the airport. I was going to, I was going to Thailand at the time, um, and it was Dubai is one of the biggest hubs of airports out there. Um, millions of people go through it, but in Arabian and Middle Eastern culture, the elderly have the right of way regardless. 
Now, this shriveled up old man I didn't see because we're going through the crowds and I bumped into him. So he in his in his language and he gets his walking stick and tries to smack me with it on the side. Oh. Like, you know, I tried apologizing and everything, but nope, that wasn't good enough. He he made sure this young whippersnapper knew his place. And then he wandered <laughs> off. I was like, okay, I'll remember that. So then I was coming back from, I think I went and got McDonald's, actually. I was coming back from the McDonald's um, in the airport back towards my gate, and I saw him. I thought, oh, this is karma. Oh, this is karma. So I did the, you know, sweep, 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 and then an extended long sweep to the side, you know, trying to catch him, you know, just kind of catch his heel in a way. <laughs> Didn't quite happen. Uh-oh. Instead, what I did was I managed to catch him between his legs. And you know that way when you start falling and you run to catch yourself, but you just can't quite run fast enough? Okay. That's what happened with him. So this (laughs) 87-year-old man, probably the fastest he's moved in his life in his last 40 years, starts sprinting headlong towards a cigarette display case, smacks into it, tobbles it over, goes into it, alarms, people coming over, everything, and I'm just continued walking going, ooh. uh, Oh. (laughs) <laughs> whoops <laughs> what happened to that guy huh <laughs> so, uh, what would you, did, you, did you see who did that yeah, I mean, yeah. oh, <laughs> the shame of some people <laughs> uh, do you think it was on purpose that somebody did that oh I can't believe it <laughs> oops I'd be I, I have to say uh, I'd guiltily be uh, pretty proud of that story as well <laughs> I've had some. I've had some interesting interaction with old men in my time. Another one happened in China, but that's a different story. Oh boy, what happens in China? No, <laughs> <laughs> no, no it's not, nothing. Nothing bad. This, this is okay. this was a, this was an epic old guy. But uh, you know, I'll, I'll, not, I'll not steal your show. You've probably got a script to keep to or something. <laughs> no, I, I, I love it all. I, like I said, I don't really stick to. It. I mean, it's, this is your journey. So I mean, <laughs> if you have another funny story, I'm. I'm oh god, yeah. I'm well. This one in this one happened in China, and um, I'd, I'd my first ever trip to China went very very badly. Um, mm. I'm, I'm giving you the the quick footnotes of it. Okay. Um, I arrived in China and got to my school uh, two days after arriving. My suitcase didn't turn up at the airport when I arrived in China. Thought, well, you know, worst things have happened to see. Go to the school, didn't get my teaching materials until the Sunday night, and then was expected to teach on the Monday morning. I'm thinking, right, okay, great, this is going to be really difficult. But, you know, I was still enthusiastic, got all the stuff. I was thinking, right, okay, how can I make this interesting for the kids? How can I make this exciting for the students to learn English? I thought games, everything like that. And then I went and did the class. And the head of the school turned up at the end of the class, at the end of the day. I'm thinking, oh, wow, this is going to be this is going to be really good. Like, obviously, you know, I want to make sure that this class was the best one I did all day. So I did my shindig, did all the games, did everything. And as the kids ended, she turned up to me and goes, so how do you think I did? And she's, well, we don't think it's going to work out. Oh, right. OK, well, then is there something I did? Maybe something I can work on? She goes, no, 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 you're a cripple, you see, and you'll be damaging the school's reputation, so we can't have you here. Whoa. And with that, I was made uh, without a job. Now, in China, what happens is the place that you work has to provide you with accommodation. So I suddenly didn't have a place to stay. So I contacted my agency and said, look, something's gone wrong here. The school has been highly discriminatory. Can you help me out? And said, of course, of course, of course, go over to the next province, which is kind of like the next state of China. We've got another school there that you can go and you can go and have an interview with. So great. Thank you very much. 
Now, I've been using the cash that I had because it was just a lot easier than trying to use the, the, the cards because they didn't have contactless, you know, so I have, rather than having to put your PIN number in every single time you're using cash. So I used the, the cash to get on the high-speed train, get over to the other province, get to the address, and there's no school. I'm thinking, uh, all right, have I got the address <laughs> wrong? So I called him up and said, hey, you know, hi there, hi there, teaching place. Um, I'm at the address. Have I got the address wrong? And then they returned and goes, no, no, um, because you've left the province without contract, you're no longer a responsibility. Click. What? So there I was with no school, no clothes, no house, and no job, and my agency that was responsible for me just left me. They told you to go there. Okay. <laughs> I'm thinking, okay, wow, all right. Well, um, right, okay, need to get a hotel, need to regroup. Went to a hotel, and I thought, right, okay, better be staying here for a few days, let's check in for a week, I'll use my card. Swipe the card. Declined. Uh. Oh, don't do that. Swipe the card. Declined. The school, the we don't want you because you're a cripple, had tried to hack my account because they figured if they weren't going to get money out of me for teaching, they might as well take it out of me and trade. Wow. So that I was homeless, clothesless, jobless, contactless, and with no money. So I then tried calling home. And this is the kicker of the entire story. Right. You think, right, okay, at least you'll be able to get some help, right? No. Right. You can call into China from the West, but if you've got a Western device, you can't call out of China. Even on a Chinese device, you can't call out of China. Okay. So I couldn't even tell my family that it, what had gone wrong. So I could only get to them by email. But there's an eight-hour time difference. So there I am, you know, a day and a half later, at such and such a time at night, you're thinking, shit, I've got absolutely no way I can get around this. So for the next month... For about two weeks, I lived homeless. I lived under a ping pong table, eating scraps of other people's other people's trays in a KFC because I was starving. It's the only place I could get free Wi-Fi for one thing, so I could send emails. I was rapidly sending my my CV off to people in China, thinking, right, okay, I'm still here. I still have a work visa. I can still at least work if I can get another job. Things will work out for me. And right. um, I started doing like cash and hand jobs so I can like pay for food, but hotels and such were just out of my price range. So I lived under a ping pong table. And I can really vividly remember there was a thunder and lightning storm and the rain was pouring down, like pounding off of this tiny little ping pong table I was huddled under. My bag clutched to my chest with my laptop inside being my only line of communication to the outside world, the, la the laptop I'm actually currently using right now. And I'm watching the water slowly climb the hill the ping pong table just so happened to be on. I'm thinking, what else could go wrong? <laughs> Like, please what give me more. Give me more. <laughs> Just you know, like the irony of this kind of beginning of this story is that I was really, I'd always kind of considered myself, yeah, I, I have my eyesight condition, but I've done quite a lot for myself, and I've always been proud of what I've been able to do. Should be. Still, didn't think I could survive something that hard. I mean, put yourself in that, put yourself in that situation for a moment. You've got no contacts. You can't call home for help. Right. You've got no job prospects, and you're having to eat this, you know that dark, grey, black, grisly bit of the bone in the KFC that yeah. people leave after your meal? I was eating that from other people's trays because I was starving. You think, That's insane, man. That is it, like it was nuts. Insane. Luckily, I did manage to get myself back on my feet. What oh, happened, though? I, I decided, I realized that I was going to need to get help. So I started looking for expats and foreign and other foreigners so I could get some advice and they can maybe get me in places or can put me up for a night or 
do something to rescue my situation because I was kind of I was managing to keep myself in a way, you know, alive by doing the or the odd jobs and such. It just it would just not really I was I was never going to be able to do it for very long. I could feel myself, you know, especially with my digestive my hyperactive metabolism disorder. I need to eat quite regularly. I'm like you know similar to a diabetic in that regard. You don't okay. eat things really bad start to happen. And I wasn't eating. You know, I was eating gristle, not much nutrition in gristle. No, so no. I got in contact with him and said, right, okay, I'm going to need to go on a night out because otherwise I'm going to die of stress. So I went on a night out, met a couple of other foreigners, and they recommended a place for me to stay. And I think, right, okay, they recommended a place for me to stay. They got me a couple of interviews with jobs, lent me some money. I'm thinking, right, this is where it's going to start going up. And this is where I'll circle back to the, the old man <laughs> story. But... I managed to get myself set up, managed to get myself the interview, and they really liked me, they really liked what it was all about. They heard my story up to this point and said, no, we're, we're, we're more than happy to help you out here. So I went to the final part, I brought all my documentation down, and I handed it over to the woman who was typing into the computer to, you know, update my records and such. Yeah. Now, you and I probably understand that reading body language, not really our strongest suit, right? Nope. And this woman suddenly looked worried i'm thinking there is there's the other bit there's the other thing that i was waiting on you know i couldn't possibly be going better by this point yeah hey, well actually to be fair there was a silver lining my suitcase did turn up so i had to change the clothes now i finally changed my underwear <laughs> <laughs> so she disappears for about 30 minutes and comes back and hands me a ticket and she said this is a train ticket to hong kong be on that train it leaves in 30 minutes the police are coming to arrest you. It turns out that that first school, the one that had hacked my account, the one that said, we don't want you because you're a cripple, had racked up £10,000, about $12,000 worth of fines on my head, had corrupted my visa, so I was technically there illegally, and the police had been looking for me because I wasn't registered as being a person in China. Oh, my. Oh, exactly. And I'm thinking to myself, well, okay, time to go. So I ran back to the hostel, grabbed my suitcase, which, as I said, had turned up, told my friend yeah. what was going on, told him, could you just grab the rest of my suitcase because I had to flee then and there, and ran for the train station. Made it to Hong Kong, I thought, nope, that's me, I'm done, I'm out of here, I'm going home, I've had enough. And I called up a, a fortunately, a, a, in Hong Kong being an ex-British territory, it had all the amenities and such, my phone suddenly worked again and everything, but I had managed to work, find workarounds in the meantime. I called up a, a Chinese Hong Kongese uh, uh, friend of mine and said, you would not believe the story I've got to tell you. How about we meet up? She agreed. We met up for the where we're going to meet up in the morning for breakfast. And as I left the hostel, it was a one-way street that led out onto the main road. So I went down, went down the one-way street, stood at the corner, was flagging down a taxi. And as I stepped into the taxi, a slow-moving police van with its lights on turned the wrong way down the one-way street and guards of police in police uniform walked into the hostel. It wasn't really a big hostel either. So take your bet who it was they were looking for. <laughs> so I managed to make it home, and that was my first ever trip to China. And it all happened within a month, believe it or not. That, that whole situation from homelessness, from running from the police, from finding jobs, from living under a ping-pong table to going into... Uh, a hostel where they would where they found out what my situation was and they went out and bought me a big massive bag of KFC to help me out where they were trying to teach me some Chinese so I could learn how to like operate the tax special to get to places I wanted to be you know all that happened in a month 
I am like I'm blown away. I'm like yeah. I think that's like so incredible. Like, but, uh, it wasn't all hardship, which is the thing, because it's it's every hardship that came along that knocked me, that tried to shake my confidence and made me doubt myself. Don't get me wrong, I did have those moments where I thought, right, okay, where am I gonna go with this? But it was that it was never a case of I I couldn't afford not to give up. It was more a case of I just I couldn't afford to stop trying. I needed to keep going, otherwise like it would just continue to get worse. Like it wasn't a case of if I give up, that's it. I'm I'm stuck where I am. If I didn't keep going, I never. It was it was going to keep getting worse. Um. So I did have fun moments in that. You know, like I say, the the the, the nightclubs and um. <laughs> there's no copyright in China, so my friend sent me a picture and said, "How the heck have you done this?" And sent me a picture of myself. I'm thinking, right. so what? You've taken a picture of me. Then sends a second picture, and there's my smiling mug on a 50-foot billboard, 30, 40 stories up on top of a skyscraper in the centre of the city, selling something. Really? Well, in China, white is status. So if you're tall, if you're white, if you've got blue eyes, and if you've got uniquely coloured hair, such as mine is, you know, I'm a strawberry blonde, you know, light ginger colour, then, you know, that's exotic. So I was considered one of the most handsomest men you could possibly be. I even got pulled up on stage to judge a Chinese beauty pageant at one point. Me, I can't <laughs> see. They want me to judge beauty of Chinese women. <laughs> you could, well, you could have said I have to touch them so I can, so I can get better. You know, you know I, I have to feel their face. <laughs> no, no, no. That might that might not have gone over as well. No. I don't know. I, I was told I wasn't allowed to touch the contestants. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't actually. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so. It was actually on my way to meet this friend who sent me that picture that this old man um, and I had our interaction. So I was going to meet him at the the, the shopping centre, the mall. I was trying to flag down a taxi. It was the middle of the day, really, really warm. Like, you know, I'm talking 86 Fahrenheit, 40 Celsius, you know, 90, 93 Fahrenheit, 42 Celsius. Really, really hot. Middle of the day, I'm trying to flag down taxis and no one's stopping for me. And as I feel this on my shoulder and I turn around and there's this another really old man he like stooped over with age kind of thing and he goes and shakes his hand and starts gesturing for me to follow him he starts doing this kind of you know slipper shuffle as i call it you know where they're not actually walking they're just shuffling along yeah starts walking back towards the edge of like you want me to come along he starts moving over and i think okay well you know maybe the old guy just needs help with his motorcycle getting it started so he goes over to it heaves himself on like i'm hearing the bones creak in this old man Sits himself down on the on the on the on the on the motor scooter, shuffles forward, looks up at me, pats the back of the bike. I'm like, what? And he goes, oh, and he points in the directions. He's offering me a lift. Oh, so I jump on the back of it, and I actually think I've got a video of that whole thing. And it's it's you see these things of India and China and Bangladesh and Pakistan and you see just what they do you know it's it was a red light okay so we just jumped up onto the pavement went down it to the pedestrian crossing but it was green and jumped back onto the road again um we cut through intersections we we there was a bus pulling out and there was another bus passing it and my knees on the other side of him touched both buses at the same time I'm thinking right okay there's my death coming uh <laughs> jumped up and pedestrianized pathways went into an underground section to get you know cut through um back and round like rather than going down to the junction and doing a u-turn he's like we'll just go to the pedestrian footbridge over the top over we went you know it's just 
brilliant, brilliant old guy. Um, and I got to the end. He goes, oh, thank you very much. And it's, you know, this is where I need to be. It's like, yes, 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 do it, do it, do it. You know, thank you. Yes, yes, this, this is good. Uh, so I jump off and I'm, I'm reaching for my wallet and I see he's about to leave. And I go, no, 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 no. And I was like, you didn't, you didn't even want paid. You're just doing it because, you know. <laughs> just to do it. Oh. Just do it. Um, so you know, I had I had some really great stories in China, but at the same time, it was really difficult. I end, I actually ended up going back and living there for six months. I need to go back and get my suitcase of nothing else. Right. But I really did enjoy. Uh, I have really enjoyed my my experiences while traveling. Um, but I I have some strange stories from doing it too. <laughs> well, what happened to? But what, what was going on with your family while this was all going on? Well, my mum didn't sleep for about three days when she figured out what was going on to me, um, because this was in the time where, by the time I left the school and messaged and said, I'm going to go and find out another place, I'm going to say, I'll let you know when I get there, it's only going to take a couple of hours. So she stayed up to wait for that couple of hours for the response. And then because I couldn't get into the hotel, because I couldn't get to the new school, there was no response. So I spent you know, those couple of days trying to figure myself out, running around, getting back to the major cities rather than the rural um, finding a place where you know I could uh, finding the ping pong table I could stay under, finding the KFC that had free Wi-Fi. She was like sending messages, of what's going on, what's happening, where are you? She she was thinking, right, okay, how much is it going to cost to get flights out there to come and get them? You know what's because I c- I couldn't buy the flight, I couldn't pay for it, um, because I couldn't get my, my all my cards were cancelled. So you know it was it was a it was just a case of like panic stations. And then when I went on that night out and the the friends that I I owe. I, I would say all my life too, really. And gave me a place to stay and gave me some cash and gave me some tips on how to get through things and get my get my phone activated so I could call and text to the outside world again. Um, by the time they'd they'd found that out, you know, my mum had eaten her her nails and her fake nails and the ends of her hair down to the nub. You know, oh. <laughs> everyone was pretty panicked about it, but it was it was a simple case of I just couldn't tell them how much everything was going on day by day because I couldn't get in contact with them day by day. Dude, that could be a movie. I mean, I'm thinking. I'm. I'm actually, as a writer, I've been thinking about writing it for years. Um, and I, I've now gotten to that point where I think I can do the story justice. Because, um, back then I, I back then I planned. I didn't really plan on my writing to become a career. Um, oh, right. I'd written as a hobby, and it was my trip to China and that homelessness. I could get access to Patreon and I could get access to PayPal, which I could then send to, um, my Chinese facebook app um called wechat and i could use my money that way so yeah. suddenly my writing became the only steady income i had so i churned out story after story after story getting the money in to to keep myself alive right. and, uh, by the time i'd come back from china and had that right okay i'm going to take a month or two just to recover um i can kind of kept up the writing because I, I didn't i enjoyed it it was a hobby and because of that, I now I became a became a writer by profession. So I still didn't think that I was very good at it. I'd, I'd, I'd found a subject that people liked and were interested and made characters and a plot line and everything. But my ability to describe in such a manner as to get the point of how serious and how difficult things were, I've only think I've really started to come into in this last, well, the end of last year. Um, as I started listening to different stories and trying out new ideas and figuring out what worked for me and what didn't, so I've now got to that point where I'm thinking I'm actually going to write the write the story about it, and it's kind of kind of got the working title of discovering a worldview, like the the story of homelessness in China or something to that extent, you know, discovering a worldview. 
It's amazing. I think like, it'd be great. <laughs> I mean, I think the fact that you, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm still blown away. I'm still like, like, wow, I like the fact that, I mean, it's all in just a month, but it, it makes you really, uh, puts my mm. own life in perspective that things aren't really that bad. Over there. <laughs> well, like, I, mean, I, I could be living under a ping pong table right now, but uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm not. <laughs> I mean, you, everyone's got their own problems. Like, one of my, one of my dad's, uh, it might be even my dad's best friend, he's got a fantastic saying is, you're sitting around a table and everyone has their problems and cards. You put your problems down on the table, you'd probably be quite happy picking your own problems up because you know how to deal with them. Like, I had been in situations where I'd had to, you know, I'd lived independently, I'd been on my own, I'd faced adversity. So those skills that I developed came in hella handy when the the grand test came, you know, the the the, the grand test of life came a knocking. And I could I could deal with them. But then you've got difficulties I don't know about. You know how to make a like you know how you know how to get a marriage to work. I'm I'm <laughs> I'm I can't remember how to get a relationship to work. It makes you wonder, like it makes you think uh what did I say? Um, I just lost my point. I had a really good. Uh, I was gonna think about uh, about things. Uh, oh, I lost it. I had a really good. I wanted to say <laughs> something, but I totally lost it. Hit when that happens. Sorry. Oh no, it's okay. Oh, but no. Dealing it's, with um, your own problem, living under a ping pong table. Yeah, basically. Uh, I think. Uh, I was just trying to think how, like you know, over here it's like nothing. You know, like the, the little things are not like a big deal. But you, oh no, and I remember. Your situation, think about your situation, what you dealt with like, over there. But imagine if you had vision. Mm. How does that, I mean, how well, big did your vision play a part of all that too? Like, I mean, would have been would have been easier to navigate around and do things if... Oh, most certainly. You know, I, know, I know it would have been a hell of a lot easier. With, if I had full vision, it would have made it a whole lot easier. Um, for one thing, I wouldn't have gotten fired from the first job if I had full yeah, vision. Right. <laughs> like, that, 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 was, that was the tipping point where everything went went to shit, you know? Right. Forgive me for swearing, but I think it's okay. fair to say things went to shit. <laughs> but to say, like, what if, like, say you were a teacher and you were going to chat, you know, in the, in the same situation, but you were full vision, you are being sent over, and then just, like, they're like, we don't want you. And then all of a sudden, it's still, all the rest still happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, you know. The, well, so it's always an interesting now. story of the, the alternate history, you know, alternate future of what would have happened if, you know, what would have happened if people hadn't bombed the Twin Towers? What would have happened if Caesar hadn't been assassinated? What would have happened if, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, there's so many things in history that one of, my, one of my kind of life mottos is that the world turns, the world turns on small chances. And it's, you never know how things will affect the larger picture, the bigger, the bigger, wilder world. Um, it's it's the very small things that that happen, and you know, I could, if if I had better eyesight, I wouldn't have had that experience. But then I wouldn't right. be in the lifestyle that I am now that I very much enjoy. I'm able to travel the world at any point I want now. I'm able to interact with fans on a daily basis. I now have, you know, the ability to spend time with family when it really matters or I, I now have the ability to you know share these stories and I'm, I'm hoping to use them actually to inspire I'm setting up a, a business kind of to teach the mindset that I've been able to to generate because of being able to live independently and have that time to focus down on what makes me work in the world as well as I do or at least um, by my own standards I like to think I work in the world quite well <laughs> right so RP is actually in a way giving you more freedom I'd say so. It. Like, 
what a poker saying is that it's not the cards you're dealt, it's how you play them. And I completely agree with that. You know, you can get the best cards in the world, but unless you play them in the right way, you can just squander it. We, t- we hear about the playboys and the people winning millions in the lotteries or, you know, spoiled brats of rich billionaires who, you know, drown their life away in cocaine and drugs and never really amount to anything in the, in the world. And yet, on the other side of things, you've got people who are raised on nothingness, who work themselves up to be a doctorate and end up finding the cure for cancer. You know, it's, 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 how you, it's how you apply yourself. You, you make your own world, depending on what you do in it. Yeah, sure. A better like, starting point is a better starting point. And oh, arguing right. that, but more no. research is great, but it's still up to you what you do with them. True. It's like a, it's like a sports team built with all the best players. But yeah, all those best players don't, they don't, they don't come through. Absolutely. So it doesn't matter. So it doesn't matter. You get the best team in the world, but if they don't play, it's, uh, you're, you're no different than the worst team in the league. Mm. Mm. Absolutely. Uh, it's awesome. So, and I was wondering, and you're, uh, where you are now, do they have like, can you get a guide dog? Um, I've always... I, I'm more than qualified to have a guide dog. I know people who've got more vision than myself who've got guide dogs. Mm-hmm. It's just a case of I've the lifestyle that I've lived and the traveling that I've done and the traveling that I probably will continue to do doesn't really lend itself well to having a guide dog. So I feel it's better for someone else to have one because oh, um, okay. they are a, a fairly limited resource here. You know, there's quite a lot of charities that are dedicated to helping train more of them because it's it, it's becoming apparent how how helpful they are. Um, but with my level of independence and the, my confidence to navigate still, I've, I've always been that way. I've no other people need it more than myself. Other people could could have better benefit with this limited resource than myself. That's a good way to look at it. Do you have a gay dog? Uh, I don't, um, but I haven't actually even had a mobility training. I mean, really, I just... I kind of taught myself, you know, how to use a cane. Right. Um, but I know I have to get mobility training if I want to uh, get a dog. I definitely do want to get a dog. My mom got one around, like, my age now, like, a little bit older. She was, like, 40, I think, when she got her first dog. Mm-hmm. And uh, it really changed her life. So, And um, over here, anyway, I know they always recommend actually having a little bit of sight, actually, when you first get a guide dog. Yeah, so it's I, similar here. Okay, so I thought, you know what, this might be good. I think I would get out more because the dog would provide a little more. I don't know, like people would see the dog, I think, and it would be a little more. Maybe I'd get a little more interaction than versus the guy with the cane mm-hmm. or, you know, or something. You know, I think I think it just changes perspective on things. So I would definitely be interested to see how my world went change, you know, by simply yeah. adding, you know, a guide dog. It would be cool. Um, definitely. I want to, um, I'm taking, I think 2020 is when I'm definitely starting to take those steps. I want to, you know, sign up for like services for the blind over here and kind of get yeah. mobility training and, and I'll do all that so I can ultimately probably get a dog just because I'm a dog person anyway. I mean, I was raised yeah. a dog, so it's, it's just natural anyway, but yeah, mm-hmm. ultimately I'd like to. No, I bet, but each each their own, you know. Do do it when you're comfortable with it. Like, don't. It's not a case of right. Okay, this is the time for it. If you feel comfortable right. doing it, or you want one, then by all means, you know, it's, it's it, it very much person dependent. Some people 
I, I know people who are fully blind who don't have them because they they don't like they don't they don't feel like it. They just they, they feel it'd be more of a hassle than it'd be a benefit to them because you know right. they're, they're completely content in how they want to live their lives and how they're living it. So you know, it's very much up up to you how you want to do it. Sure. Like my mom, I remember my mom hated using a cane, like just prior before getting a dog. Like she just hated mm. it. So it was like the dog was just a better. It was better for her to get you know. Mm-hmm. Now, now she can go out and she doesn't have to carry this thing and and she, plus she was an obedience trainer so all of this was just you know natural she's used to working with dogs and right so they used to give her the more difficult dogs because she had that background and so mm-hmm. but it was cool no I, I loved like watching that growing up and just seeing that so to me like i've always prepared myself to be like this is what i want to do i i see how how it didn't you know so well for my mom and yeah yeah i want to do the same are you the only person in your family that that has it though? Has RP? Yeah, I'm the only one. Um, it was a rogue mutation, um, or a very very latent carry. Um, the only other person that we can think of is a is a, a great great grandmother at some point having bad eyesight. But mm-hmm. my 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 mom and dad have got you know near perfect yeah, vision. Yeah. Where my my dad's now starting to wear reading glasses. My mom probably should, but probably thinking about it now. Um, my you know, grandparents only only wore glasses in later life, and and so on and so forth. And even my brother, who's a couple of years younger than me, has got very very good vision. It's just myself. Oh, okay. Here's another good question I like to ask, and I because I always get different responses, and I'm always curious. What if you could get your vision back? What's like the first thing you're doing? Hmm. First instinct. What's like? What do you like? You just got your vision back, one hundred percent. Where are you doing? Where are you going? Um, I really don't have one. Like, <laughs> that's 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 a thing. Like, you've done so much. Maybe you could say, yeah. I, I mean, it, it's that that sounds really really arrogant to say, though. I mean, like, there's... I don't think so. Yeah, I, I don't, dude. Your stories are amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I I wouldn't blame you for just going. Hey, I'm I'm all, I feel great I, just the way it is. So I probably just continue doing as a, as I as I am. Um. I mean, sh- sure, I'd love to be able to drive and have a car, but I'm mm-hmm. also very keenly aware of, like, my brother drives and has a car and how broke he is because he drives and has a car. <laughs> so, like, you know, first thing I do is go out and learn to drive. Well, actually, no, would I do that now? Um, first thing I've got nice, like, would I go, no, no, I, I know how to school, but I've, I'd go, no, no, I, I play poker. Um I go traveling. No, no, I, I do, do that. Yeah, yeah, do that. Yeah, That's it's like the, the the standard ones that come to mind. You know, driving, that, driving the, is usually the normal one I get. Would be yeah, I want to hop in a car and I just want to you know go drive. I think I think it very much depends on where you are in the world because when like I've lived in America a couple times. Um, I lived in Virginia for three months at the end of uh, last year, and then um, before that, I lived in uh, New York for six months for study abroad, and then another month I said that travel. And living in New York and having um, being in study abroad, it wasn't so much of a difficulty because everything I needed was within walking distance. New York being that way, whereas Virginia is very much more spread out. You know where I lived was 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 exceedingly rural you know it was a, it was a 50 minute it was a maybe not 50 minute maybe a five to ten minute drive to get back out into the main main you know the, the highway the freeway but even then there was no there was no footpath to walk down that to get to some place so it's i think in america it'd be very much more of a because america was designed around the car whereas mm-hmm. here in the uk you know i 
<laughs> I get I get around the city faster and better than some people driving. Like I could, like my mum and my stepdad. You know, my mum when she worked as a my mum is a CBT psychotherapist, so she worked in the crisis team. She went out to to work with people in their in their homes to keep them out of hospital. Um, she would leave at like six thirty in the morning to avoid the rush hour traffic. Whereas now I can jump on a bus and we've got uh, bus lanes and guided busways and things that cut out all the traffic. So I could get into town regardless of how busy it is in about 45, uh, 45 minutes to an hour. She could take an hour and a half, maybe two hours stuck in rush hour. So I, I can get around as easily as anyone else in a car. So I don't really feel like I need that. Um yeah, I really don't know what I'd do if I suddenly got my eyes, if I suddenly got a good eyesight. <laughs> um, I mean, there might be, I suppose, the one thing that would change is perhaps go to some places that I know I can't go, like travel-wise. Like, going in, I don't know, um, kayaking or canoeing up the Amazon River. Like, I know I can't do that because one... I can't wear my electronic glasses in a rainforest. Probably not a good idea unless you want to see me do some really, really um, electrifying breakdancing. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Um, that, that might be the only one, like finding places that I've kind of said, nah, I, I'm, I'm okay not going there. I suppose they'd go back on the list, but yeah, I, I, I'm sorry. I really feel like I can't answer that question. No, that's all right. Maybe you can go and maybe find that old guy that you tripped and tell him that you got that blind guy for him. <laughs> like, don't worry, man. I found that guy that tripped you that time. <laughs> I told, I, don't worry. I took care of him for you. I, told, <laughs> I, I showed him what for. Yeah, I showed him what for. Give him a good one, too. You know, like, <laughs> don't worry. He won't, He's not going to be tripping you anymore. Oh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so here's another one. In your dreams, do you dream that you are fully sighted or are you visually impaired in your dreams? Um, it's funny you should say that. I had a very strange dream last night, actually. Um, and I suppose in that, I guess, in, I guess, I still have the limited field of view but I don't have the night blindness and the light sensitivity. Okay. That's the thing that changes in my dream. Like the dream I had last night, because it's quite rare for me to dream. Um, but whenever I do dream, they're very vivid. The one I had last night, it's, um, it, it, I'm actually thinking of writing this into a short story, to be honest with you, because it was about unique people having very strange superpowers. Okay. So. Like, my superpower was I could do anything so long as it was extremely abstract and lateral thinking. So if I could, if I could have, a, have a lateral, semi-logical reason why it would work, then it would happen. So, like, we were getting chased, so I went up, to, uh, we were getting chased, and we managed to lose them in a hotel, but I knew they were going to find us. So what I did was I got up a, a line of paper clips, linked them together, and wrapped them around the door, and said, right, okay, that's now the chain that blocks the door. And suddenly it turned into like a ship's anchor chain, like it became massive and blocked the door. Yeah. Oh, so wow. it worked. And then like we were running through the countryside at one point, I thought, right, okay, this is really difficult. I wonder what would happen if I could like jump and bound. So I ended up being like like crabbing, like on my, I was like bounding with really super strong legs, but I had to travel sideways through the long grass. Or like <laughs> um, we were trapped in, we we're trapped in the room, so we need to get an escape. So I went up to the window and breathed on it, made a condensation, and then drew a circle in it. And suddenly that that circle, you know, I could pop out 
you know, I just had to be abstract and thinking. <laughs> so wow. I think it'd be a fantastic kids book. Um, but in it, it was all, you know, jumping outside into the blinding sunlight wasn't an issue. Uh, okay. At one point, we ran inside into a into a pub that was beneath the grandstands of a Formula One race, and we heard the cars going past. And going inside from the very bright to the very dark, which it naturally would be, was no issue. So I don't have a, I I, I, I suppose I had semi visual impairment still, but not the full extent. Not to like I have the, it. I have the convenient loss of certain aspects. Otherwise, the dream would fall apart. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yes. Actually, that's actually a pretty cool idea with the. For a superhero, because like most superheroes, you know, have powers that are pretty much more reasonable, like normal, like uh-huh. you know, flight and you know, and being uh, super strength, heat vision, yeah. super strength. Oh yeah, so it'd be interesting to have a superhero that, that has to you know do things in that yeah, in that way. Yeah. <laughs> things I've got so many ideas that I want to write though. It's that's like great. we have like like I've got the thing is I've got the book that I've got published, the second one that's ready to publish, and the third one in that trilogy of that of that five part series. You know, most of that written out in 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 larger points. And I've got another story called Checkpoint that is, you know, going to be really really massive. And um, that's up to like seventy thousand words, give or take. And it's still going with a lot left to write of that. And then there's another story called Saga, which is like, I suppose. Lord of the Rings and kind of style, um, high fantasy sort of thing. You know, another world with its own laws and creatures and magic and such. Okay. That's for two hundred thousand words. And then like, I've got Pocket Racer about collapsible vehicle racing because I'm a Formula One fan. I love motor racing, so there's my story about how you know the future of racing could could evolve into that way. And then I've now got this. You know the the story of my China trip, and I've got this story of the abstract superheroes. Easy. <laughs> You and my so friend Charlie cool. would love talking to each other. My friend Charlie, he's a he loves F one and mm. and there's really not many people over you know in in the states here that love to like watch that kind of stuff. All right, okay. He's got the VR set up, you know, with the three screens, and he likes oh, to have, he right, simulate. Okay. He, he got the simulators, you know, and all that stuff. He used to actually race uh, for Skip Barber when he was a uh, you know you know in his early twenties, and mm-hmm. so he's he's tried to get into racing. So, yeah. That's so he, really he cool. That. I'll I'll be honest, that is really really cool. Oh yeah, so I used to go to some of his. I've been to some of his races. It was fun. So yeah, he would. He's definitely somebody that yeah. When you said that, I was like, oh man, like my, my friend Charlie would just like be like talk your ear off about that stuff. So. <laughs> <laughs> he sounds like a cool guy, but you can put us in contact. Definitely. Oh my god, but no, this has been like, dude, like I loved all I loved all your stories, man. Like, <laughs> I mean, I've got loads more, so you know. And, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna have you back on. I'm gonna have you back on. I mean, because uh, I think you know, it'll be definitely more fun to you know have more things to share, and uh, I'm sure other people out there would love to hear more of your <laughs> your your interesting journeys. And uh, uh, well, that, here's uh, one one for next time. Then I'll say I'll say for next time. The time a monkey outsmarted me in Thailand. Okay, guys, you hear that? Just <laughs> get y'all get y'all built up in suspense. We'll, Absolutely, we'll, we're definitely wanting gonna, more. Yeah, we're gonna have, we'll, we will have. Have you back on the show, James? Thank so, you very much. You're welcome. But I'm glad you took the time out today for uh, to share some of some of your stories and uh, some of your journey. And uh, I look forward to you know having you back on. Mm. Well, thank and, you very uh, much. You've been a, you've been a fantastic host, and uh, oh, thank I, you. I hope things go well for you in the, in the near future. Same to you. You have <laughs> enjoy. I don't know what time is it over there. Uh, it's later evening now. Getting towards eight nine o'clock. I need to order some food actually. Um. <laughs> oh, enjoy your food. <laughs> I'm sure I will. All right, man. Thank you. 
Catch you later, man. All right, bye. All right, bye bye. enjoyed this week's episode see you next week for another episode of living free with rp